Hello there, and welcome to Not The Farmer's Wife podcast. I'm CJ Steedman, and I'm definitely not the farmer's wife. I am a mum, a partner, a full-time off-farm worker, and enthusiastically a lady farmer. On our farm, Mojo Homestead, we grow chickens, goats, cows, and bees. We practice regenerative agriculture and holistic management. If, like me, you love all things farming and homesteading, and if you'd like to learn from the female farmer's perspective, then I'd love to have you along for the ride. So let's get farming. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Not the Farmer's Wife. This week, oh my God, I'm so excited. It's only a week to go and uh, Backyard Chicken Keeping uh, course opens for registration. So if you're not on the wait list, get on the wait list. Uh, if you are on the wait list, I apologize. You'll get a million emails this week. Um, but uh, if if you just bear with me, if you're not interested in doing backyard chicken keeping course, bear with me. By the end of the week, it'll all be over and we'll go back to normal scheduling. Um, so uh, if you are not on the list and you'd like to be, and I am running a free webinar during that week as well. So if you want to get on that, uh, go to www.mojohomestead.net forward slash uh, seven must knows will get you the chicken keeping guide or I think it's forward slash Feb Web, which is F-E-B-W-E-B, um, will get you onto the free webinar, which is discussing chicken coops. Uh, so I would love to have you there, um, but I'm very excited that we're getting up to that point, pointy end of course start again. Anyway, this week, well, I probably should be talking about chickens. I'm not. I'm talking about sustainable homestead kitchens. And I always find this one a bit funny because I think people have a certain view of, of what I do in my kitchen. <laughs> and sometimes it's more like a science experiment than a kitchen. But um, I did have a friend years ago who um, didn't realize that I like to make things from scratch. And they were at our house and watching me. I think I was making bread and they were watching me make bread. And their response was, oh, my God, when did you become Susie Homemaker? Uh, because they'd never actually seen me at work in my kitchen before. And and he was a little bit put out. He was like, I just didn't think you were that kind of person. And I'm like, I didn't know there was that kind of person. But if you're not that kind of person, don't stress. You might get something out of this. If you want to be that kind of person, then keep listening because you'll definitely get something out of it. Um, it's, it's always funny that people have this real... Um, misconception about what homestead kitchens are like they think that everything must be done from scratch and everything must be done by hand and you know it's all done the old slow ways and things like that and that's absolutely not true in my kitchen um, I am probably the laziest cook in the world um, so I always try and find the easiest way to do things uh, but I'm also pretty frugal so I, I do like to do it myself because I know that there is a there is absolutely with everything a cost benefit. Now, that being said, there are some things that you make at home and when you sit down and work it out, you could probably buy it cheaper. But what you have to do is work out not just the cost factor of the item that you're making, but the cost factor to your health and well-being of buying the cheap, and I want to say nasty, they're not always nasty, but cheap and nasty product instead of making it yourself. And, and that relates more to things like, you know, soaps and things like that. It, you don't know what's in the products. You know what's on the label. But 
I don't necessarily trust everything that they tell me on the label. So even though it might cost you a little bit more to make some of these things at home, the added benefit of knowing what's in the product and knowing that your health and well-being is not going to be impacted by what's in the product, I think you can't put a dollar value on. So to me, it's still a cost uh, benefit to do it at home. Uh, but first of all, what we're going to talk about is just a few things about kitchens because I'm sure I, I see all these lovely Instagram you know, done videos of people with their hand churning butter and, and um, you know hand churning butter spinning spinning wool and things like that and I think oh my god no I like I don't have time for that shit I really don't so my homestead kitchen has lots of things well not lots of things because I'm in a tiny house but it has things in it that make my life so much easier and the number one thing that I have that makes my life easy is my thermomix Yes, I'm part of that cult. I will admit it. Um, and I have no problem with that because it makes such a difference in the kitchen. I can't recall the last time I bought custard, for example, um, because I it, I just don't. It's so much easier to make it here. <laughs> um, and it's fresh. And I know exactly what's in it. Um, so I make custard and literally the custard that I make is eggs and milk. Uh, and it's in the Thermomix and it's preset. I have a Thermomix TM6, which is the new one with the flash screen on the front of it. I did have a TM5, uh, which I loved. I still loved it. Uh, but I um, gave that to my mum. Sold. I think I gave it to her for a smaller fee than what I paid for it. Um, uh, because the handy helper upgraded me to a TM6 because he knew how much I loved it and used it. So that is the key component of my kitchen is the, is the Thermomix. I grind coffee in it. I make stock, vegetable stock in it that goes in the freezer for cooking. I, um, oh God, even when I'm making things like icing sugar for the kids to make cakes, I will just put white sugar in there and grind it down to icing sugar. Like I don't buy icing sugar. Um, there's so many things that I just don't, well, and I'm just about to start doing uh, tomato sauce or ketchup for my US friends um, in the Thermomix because then I know how much sugar is going into it because I'm trying to cut back the amount of sugar my kids are actually consuming. Uh, but even things like jams, when I get down into the canning, when I talk about canning, I, I can make jams in there to, to put into cans. It's like, it's so easy. So Thermomix is the big part in my kitchen. I do not use hand churn things to make butter. Um, I put cream in the Thermomix with the whisk and I make butter that way. <laughs> Um, the only thing I do do by hand is my sourdough um, because because it's just in a glass jar and I use a fork and mix it and that's fine but everything else gets done in the thermo um, the other thing the probably the only other things that I definitely would encourage you to have if you're trying to aim for a more uh, homesteady kind of kitchen is um, a pressure cooker um, I, I'm off grid, so it's really hard for me to use an oven. So having a pressure cooker to cook meats in is awesome. But also too, you can get pressure cookers that you can use for canning. So I can have anything that I get, because I'm in a tiny kitchen, anything I get has to have at least a dual purpose. So a pressure cooker and a slow cooker. And the slow cooker, believe it or not, does not drain our batteries very much. And oh my God, you know, a big slab of brisket in there and left all day when the sun's out and I can put it on in the morning, go out, do farm chores, come back in in the heat of the day. The house smells amazing. And by the end of the day, I have got this beautifully pull apart 
brisket that's ready to eat and I usually do up a big slab of it because then I can freeze some to use in cooking later on. Um, we do have two big freezers here which are the biggest drain on our batteries and we are looking at what we can do to reduce that drain down the track um, but yeah at the moment that's the the main parts of my kitchen now i do have some other little things that i use of course because i sell beeswax wraps i have beeswax wraps that i use instead of cling wrap um, and the reason for that is because we try and reduce the amount of garbage that we have going out of the kitchen because we are responsible for our own rubbish here we do not have a rubbish collection service so the the least we can put in the bin, the better. So we've just started recycling all of our cans and bottles. The kids are doing that because they're getting money from putting it through the recycle machines in town. Um, but things like beeswax wraps, uh, resealable bags, um, freezer safe containers that can also go in the microwave. We use all of those to make life easier in the kitchen. Uh, there's probably only a few other tools that I have which is um, I've got like a stab blender that I use and that's for my soap making um, I generally don't use it for cooking because I do everything in the thermomix so um, I, I tend not to use the stab blender for cooking which is probably just as well now because it's covered in soap bits and all kinds of stuff it gets washed every time but it still ends up with little dribs and drabs all over it uh, but the main thing is, is having an efficient kitchen. So like I say, if you've got things that can do a dual purpose, um, then that's going to help you down the track. Now, the other thing is having a good pantry. And we don't have a big pantry here. Our battery room, where all of our batteries are to keep our house running with power, we use that as a storage room for our pantry um, because the temperature in there is kept at a very even amount. There's no windows or light in there. The temperature never fluctuates much. So it's a great storage area for pantry items. So the kinds of things that I keep on store, because we're 40Ks from the nearest shop, or we're actually only about 20Ks from the nearest shop, but it's only a very small shop that doesn't stock bulk items. So the biggest bulk item store is 40Ks away. And so I store up, I have big tubs, plastic tubs, and I have salt, always have salt on hand because it's great for so many things. Um, and it keeps <laughs> forever. Pretty much, I mean, you know, thousand-year-old salt getting pulled out of the ground. I think it's not going to go off next week. Um, I keep uh, self-raising flour and plain flour. I keep white rice on hand. Uh, I keep white sugar on hand. And I'm trying to think what else I've got in there. I've got corn flour, uh, bicarb soda. Oh my god, bicarb soda will become your best friend as you move into a more sustainable lifestyle where you're not having to purchase cleaning products and things like that. Bicarb soda is the bomb. Um, I think that, and, and we use it obviously for canning. So our any canned products, and at the moment I haven't been canning because I don't have the space to do it in the kitchen, but any canned food that I purchase goes into that battery room because like I say, the temperature is nice and even. So we buy bulk slabs of canned tomatoes, canned corns, things like that. Even though I've been on my carnivore diet, which I'm currently off kind of sort of more keto at the moment but the carnivore diet that i did we weren't using a lot of vegetables anyway uh, but that's where we keep our canned veggies and as as i get better with um the produce that we've got coming in and canning it and preserving it um, it'll all be kept in that room because like i say it is just a perfect kind of pantry um, temperature now the main thing about homestead kitcheny i think for most people is that they just assume that everybody cooks from scratch 
And I have to be honest, I don't cook everything from scratch. I cook a lot from scratch. But we do eat out. We do have takeaway. Um, we had takeaway on uh, Friday night. It's currently the festival of MJ because my daughter's birthday is coming up. And so over those couple of days leading up to and after her birthday, we always say to her, it's up to her what we eat and things like that. Now, yeah, we had Kingsley's chicken. For those that are anywhere around Canberra, you'll know Kingsley's chicken. It's yummy chicken. It's really, really yummy. Not great for you, but it's really yummy. And we don't have it very often. But we had it for dinner on Friday night. We're going out for lunch today because I'm recording this on the Sunday. Uh, but Monday night, MJ got the option of what she would like for dinner for her birthday. And her choice was butter chicken. And that butter chicken is butter chicken I make from scratch in the thermo. So we do consume a lot of homemade unprocessed foods and when I say unprocessed I mean they're processed here as we eat them so we don't buy apart from the couple of things for the kids lunches and in the school bags we don't tend to buy a lot of processed stuff we tend to make it from scratch that being said if you can't do that yet if you're not in a situation to do that or you know like me if you're there's certain days where you're busy at work and you come home and the last thing you want to do is cook it's always handy to have something on hand that you can just chuck not in the microwave necessarily we tend to use the air fryer um, or heat up on a stovetop we our, our go-to meal for an emergency and i usually buy you know probably once a month to keep in the fridge is uh, pre-packaged pasta with pasta sauce now that might sound like well you could do that at home yeah I could but having it in the fridge for that night that you get home from you know sports at like nine o'clock at night and everybody's starving and it takes you four minutes to literally boil water chuck the pasta in and pour the sauce over the top of it uh, you know it's it's not something we do all the time but I don't beat myself up about doing it when I have to and I think that's the really important thing about doing a homestead kitchen kind of lifestyle is you, you can't beat yourself up when you can't do everything from scratch. You just have to accept that there are some days that are going to be like that and move on, knowing full well that the next day you'll probably make something for dinner completely from scratch that will be super healthy and super nutritious for your family. So, it, you know, at the end of the day, there's no point kicking yourself over it. Um, but the, the main thing for me is that cooking from scratch saves so much money. I could not prepare butter chicken for a family of four um, I could not buy at an Indian restaurant and I love our local Indian restaurant he does deliveries out of town in country areas which is awesome but I could not buy the serving sizes that I need for a family of four uh, from him for the same price that I can make it and I make naan bread for the kids when we do butter chicken and they the fresh naan bread oh my god you can't get you just can't buy that in the shop the the preheat the the reheatable naan bread just it just does not taste the same as the stuff you make at home and I make that in the thermomix the the dough sit it there and then just cook it up in the fry pan and honestly it, I'm so quick at it now I can do it while the butter chicken's cooking and we have nice piping hot naan bread with our butter chicken and it's awesome but I couldn't afford to buy that kind of takeout meal for them uh, with what it costs me to make it. It's just so much cheaper. And because I'm a tight ass, I, I will always go with what's cheapest where I can. Um, so, you know, also to the things like I said about, you know, being able to use the Thermomix to make, say, icing sugar from normal sugar or, you know, tomato sauce from just fresh tomatoes. It, it's so much... Um, more nutritious for the kids versus the store bought, bought. I mean, 
Obviously, icing sugar is not going to be nutritious no matter what you do. There's nothing you can do with that. It's still sugar. Uh, but yeah, I do, I do like doing it that way. Um, so you've got your health benefits, you've got your cost benefits. Time is always going to, it's always going to take you longer to do things from scratch. But like I said at the beginning, if you weigh up the cost factor versus the health and nutrition factor, you know, how are you going to put a price on that as far as your time? So if it's going to cost you time and probably the same amount of money to buy the cheap, nasty version in the shop, but you are producing a better nutritional food for your family, yeah, I, to me, that's worth it. I'm still coming out in front. Uh, what else have I got here? Oh, zones for the kitchen. <laughs> I put in here, I've got a couple of notes that I made before I start. And um, practical tips for organising your zones in your kitchen. I might post a picture, even warts and all, I won't even clean it up. I'll post some pictures on social media of my um, my kitchen space. I'm in a tiny house with a tiny kitchen <laughs> and there is no maximising the space or making zones for doing things. Um, Handy Helper and I are in the process. We have a veranda and I'm in the process of trying to make a summer kitchen where I can do things outside but in a screened area uh, because it, it's just too hard to cook. <laughs> in a tiny house especially in summer when it's stinking hot like it is at the moment so eventually I will have an outdoor kitchen and an indoor kitchen the indoor kitchen will be used in winter and that's when we have a wood fire going and things like that so that makes it a bit easier uh, but the main thing is shelving in here because we have such a small kitchen it's very hard to get storage and that's why I use the battery room as a pantry uh, but eventually, eventually, when we do the extension and the kids are out from upstairs and I can move my office upstairs, then um, I can spread the kitchen out a bit further and it'll be lovely. Uh, so the next thing I want to talk about was sourdough bread making. And so many people get hung up on this. They get really worked up about the fact that, oh, what if I kill it? How do I make the starter? It's so hard to get going. Honestly, I am not the greatest cook in the world. And sourdough starter, treat it mean, keep it keen. That's, that's my hot tip on sourdough starter. Sourdough starter is essentially just flour and water mixed together and left to ferment. And the fermentation process makes it into a form of yeast. So then when you add that to a bread mix, so you add that to uh, water, salt and flour, and you add your starter to it. When you add that starter to it, you don't have to add commercial yeast to it because the bread will rise naturally. Um, I find that with my issues with my gut, that sourdough bread does not upset my stomach like normal conventional bread does. Um, I don't know whether it's the yeast or whether it's the preservatives that go into normal commercial bread, uh, but I just find sourdough just doesn't upset me anywhere near as much. Now, some people don't like the taste of sourdough. It, it does have a very distinct taste to it, um, but I find it really good. I, I like the fact that the kids have to chew it. It's not this super soft it's soft in the middle, but crusty on the outside, so they actually have to use their teeth to chew it, and I think that's actually better for them. I think we're, we're getting a bit soft with how much, you know, low-chew food we have when, you know, our, our teeth are designed to chew. And certainly from doing the carnivore stuff, I've noticed that my teeth have improved out of sight. Uh, you know, I feel like my teeth are always clean from doing the carnivore, so that's kind of interesting. Anyway, sourdough starter, you just need flour and water. And honestly, you don't need the fancy baker's flour. Everybody talks about using different kinds of flours to make it. I just use basic old plain flour and it works great. Now, 
uh, if you're using it all the time, if you're making bread all, every day, which I have not been while well, I've been on carnivore, I've only been doing it on the weekends for the kids. But if you're making it every day, then you would have your sourdough starter out on your bench and you'd be feeding it every day uh, and, and turning it over and making, like putting, taking some starter out of it to, to make uh, a loaf of bread. I keep mine in the fridge when I'm not using it. And when I get down the fridge, it looks manky. I have posted a video previously um, of my sourdough starter when it's not been looked after and I am terrible at looking after it. And the worse I am at looking after it, the better the, st the starter is. So I drag it out. I pour off the, the sort of, um, I forget what they call it, but it's like a, a grey film of liquid that sits on top when it's going a bit bad. I pour that off. I halve it, I add flour, water, mix it up, leave it in a reasonably warm spot on the bench and usually within about four hours I'm good to go, I can make another loaf of bread. My sourdough starter's been going only, this one that I've got going now has only been six months, uh, but it puffs up beautifully. It's, it's very active once it gets going. And like I say, people think that they have to really treat it with kid gloves. I have treated mine terribly and it's the best sourdough starter I've ever had. So um, don't think that it's going to be a real hard thing or that you have to be you're super conscious of how much you put in. I'm pretty haphazard with how much flour and water I put in. It's just a rough equal parts flour and water into equal parts of sourdough starter. Um, don't let the odour be off-putting for you either because when you have left it sit in the fridge or on the bench for a bit long, um, it sometimes you open it up and go, oh, that's a bit, that's gone a bit off. Uh, I People say, oh, you have to start again if it goes off. I haven't. I've just added flour and water and then I've discarded and not used that for bread straight away to allow it to kind of catch back up and rehydrate. And... Uh, you can freeze it. I know people have frozen it, but sourdough starters, there's families, um, particularly over in the States, who've had the same sourdough starter going for 100 years, which I think is just awesome that they're still utilising that same base level starter. Um, and, and if you've got extra, you can always give it to friends too. So I keep it in the fridge when I'm not using it, keep it on the bench when I am using it. And if I'm using it every day, then I am adding to it every day because I'm taking away from it every day. So every time you take out some to use, you rehydrate by putting some back in. Now, if you're rehydrating and you aren't baking with it, so if you're just trying to get it back up and, and fizzing again and getting it nice and active, it's what's called discard, which is what you take out of it. Now you can use the discard for so many different things. You can make crackers, flatbreads, pancakes, muffins, anything like that you can use it for. Waffles, that kind of thing. Um, I don't always use it for that. Sometimes I just fry it up and put it in the chook bucket. Um, and I fry it up only because otherwise it sticks to the bottom of the chook bucket. It goes all liquidy and sticks. So I will chuck the discard into a fry pan. Just give it a quick fry like a pancake or a flatbread and then cut it up and chuck it in the chook bucket. And that way I'm not wasting food. Um, but uh, yeah, otherwise, just keep it going and turn it into bread. And when you're not turning it into bread, turn it into muffins, crackers, pancakes, waffles, all those kinds of things. It gives everything a lovely rise without having to use bicarb or yeast. Um, you can, you still, I still use a little bit of bicarb when I'm making pancakes or waffles with it, but you don't need to use anywhere near as much. Uh, so the other thing is obviously learning to make bread and people get really worked up about this but I have had more bread disasters than I've had <laughs> well not that I've had wins I, I've gotten down to a 
fine art now. But don't be put off if the first couple of times you make bread, it doesn't work. Um, once once your sourdough starter gets going, once it's very active, making bread becomes much easier because it, it does the job for you. Um, but experiment with it. I mean, at worst, if you've got chooks or pigs or anything like that, or a compost you know, bucket, at worst, you're adding to that <laughs> if it's inedible. And I have cooked sourdough that I've got out and it was rock hard and I looked at the kids and went sorry this one's not for us this one's going to the chooks and I just break it up and put it in the chook bucket but um have a go it's honestly when you have a win with sourdough and you get a beautiful loaf out and it's piping hot and you cut it and they say don't cut it for an hour but I can never wait that long because it smells so good you cut it and put a little bit of butter on it oh my god there is nothing nicer it beats shop-bought bread every single day of the week so if you can do it do it if you can't don't don't stress about it it's it's a fun thing to do and I think that once you have a couple of goes at it you'll probably get really excited and start going oh hang on I can it's not so hard I, I will do this um, and that's the same for um, the next thing I was going to talk about which is cooking from scratch and meal planning you know I don't beat myself up on those days where we have to have pasta and sauce um, what I do try and do is plan out my my uh, weeks so that I know roughly what I'm cooking each day and have either, if not prepped, I have the food kind of ready to go. So my kids take turns in cooking. So they cook usually, <laughs> when they're doing it properly, they cook each once a week. So they cook a meal once a week. And those meals will be things like chili con carne, spaghetti bolognese. Um, OJ does a great uh, beef stroganoff. Um, uh MJ's got much better at doing butter chicken. Oh, actually, OJ's been doing butter chicken too, and he said he's going to help me on Monday night with his sister's dinner. But um, they're getting much better at cooking those things, and I'm encouraging them to do that because it takes the load off me. If you were a, a single person cooking for the whole family from scratch every night of the week, you would be exhausted by the end of the week. So the handy helper has to do a meal once a week. He usually does, he can do any of the things the kids can do, but he also, he'll do a main cabanara and he does a, a sun-dried tomato and chicken pasta, which is awesome. Um, and both of those, when he cooks them, they're amazing. And he does tuna mornay as well. So we share the load in respect to cooking from scratch, but I do plan it out. So when I know that we've got, uh, sports a late sports night because my kids both play um, sports and we are late home on Wednesday Wednesdays is our big one at the moment so Wednesday nights when we know we're going to be late home Tuesday night I will pre-prepare something like a casserole that can just be put in the fridge and when we get home late I literally take it out and I use that horrible thing called a microwave that everybody freaks out about and goes oh my god don't microwave your food and I go yeah I've cooked this from scratch all I'm doing is heating it up. The quickest way to heat it up is chuck it in the microwave. You know what? I can live with myself putting it in the microwave. Um, so we do that on a Wednesday night. But every other night of the week, so Monday, Tuesday, the kids at the moment don't have sport. That will change as we go into winter, but they don't have sport. So that's the nights that they'll be cooking. And uh, Tuesday nights, they also do their washing um, so that they've got enough clothes to last them for the rest of the week with school. So Tuesdays are always wash night for them because they do a load of washing themselves. Between the two of them, they put their, they pull their stuff in together, do a load of washing, hang it out, and it's good to go by Wednesday night because um, we hang everything on the veranda uh, 
because we're away from the house and we never know whether it's going to rain or not. But if you were cooking every single meal yourself and not sharing that load with others, yeah, you would be exhausted and you probably wouldn't be able to maintain it unless you weren't working and you were home full time, in which case go for it. But if you have a job like me, a full-time job outside of the home, and you've got kids doing sport and the handy helper works full-time as well. So we have to share that load. So I try and plan it out so that I know that the nights that the kids don't have sport, that's when they're cooking. If we know we've got a late night, I try and cook the night before and have that put in the fridge so that it just needs to be reheated. And then because the handy helper works shift work, I work Monday to Friday at the moment, he works shift work. On the days that he's not working, that's when he cooks. On the weekend, I'll try and do as much as I can in advance, like preparing food. (coughs) Excuse me. Um, So I try and batch it up. And if I can cook up a double batch of spaghetti bolognese and uh, put it in the freezer, I will. At the moment, it hasn't been happening like that. Our freezer is chockers with chickens that we dispatched. So we're trying to kind of clear through some of those chickens so that we can empty the freezer out to store other things in there. Um, But that's good because, you know, that's free meat for us, as in we've already paid for it. Uh, But certainly doing it that way, having that meal planning, means that we have very low waste. We're trying to use uh, items that are in season or that we already have here on the farm. And um, I love it. I, I think I feel like it's a growing up version of, you know, winning the lotto kind of thing is when you get to the end of a container in the fridge and you've used everything before it went off, like yogurt or sour cream or stuff like that. We It doesn't happen all the time for us, but when we do get to the bottom of a container, the handy helper and I do a little bit of a happy dance in the kitchen and go, oh my God, we, we used all of that. All the tomato paste got used before it went moldy. This is awesome. Um so that's what we try and do. And again, if you're making those things from scratch, you can make small batches knowing exactly what you've got coming up. Um, it, it just, yeah, it, it's very helpful to have it planned out, I think, uh, to not have any kind of waste. But if you've got a compost or chickens, at least you know your waste is going to go somewhere. So if something goes off in the fridge, you know, if, we, if shit happens, life gets in the way and we don't use everything, we don't beat ourselves up about it. We just go, oh, well, we'll know next time not to buy as much of that Yeah, when we're doing that kind of meal planning for that week. Now, on meal planning too, I am very boring. Through the week, we tend to eat very similar kind of dishes. So spaghetti bolognese is on high rotation um chili con carne is on high rotation uh tacos are on high rotation and yeah every now and then i'm sure the kids get bored with it but sometimes you have to do what's going to work for you and and the sanity side of it is going to kick in and we have to sometimes just go well it's just fuel for us to keep going through the week and so we're not going to stress about the fact that we're eating that and it's a little bit boring We do on the weekends when we've got more time to prepare things, we tend to experiment a bit more and do meals that we haven't done or meals that take a lot longer to cook or prepare. Um, So they do get that variety there. Um, We do, when we find a meal that is easy to prepare, like the sun-dried tomatoes was a new addition, Um, sun-dried tomato chicken pasta, it's a fairly new addition and it's kind of ended up on high rotation because we all love it. So... Sometimes you have to be a little bit boring in order to keep your sanity. Now, the next thing I was going to talk about was dairy products. And this is a big one for, I think, for people who want a homestead. Dairy products seem to make a high 
kind of appearance in the kitchen and that's partially I think because people at homestead generally have either milking goats or a milking cow now we're lucky enough to have two milking goats at the moment we also have a milking cow that we're just about to get into calf so in a year's time we'll have milk from her and that means that you have a fairly bulk supply of milk coming in more so than what you would normally purchase I, I have a lot of excess milk uh, because we would probably only drink maybe not even a liter a day and I most days I get two liters of milk off the goats so that means you've got excess milk that you need to use up and that's why I think dairy products tend to make a high kind of appearance in a homestead kitchen because people have that excess and they want to use it they don't want to waste it so what do we do with dairy products there's so many things you can do so we can skim the cream off the top and make butter which I do do occasionally um, but we with only two milking I don't and the Anglo-Nubians they're the highest producers of creamy milk but I still don't get enough to make enough butter for what we would use each week. When my cow is milking, then I probably will get enough cream and I will be able to separate it. But uh, at the moment we don't. But if I do do the butter, I do it in the Thermomix. So I whip it up in there. And the excess water that comes off that is uh, buttermilk. And the buttermilk can be used in recipes like pancakes and waffles and things like that. And I love that you kind of get this dual purpose out of it where you get you know the cream and you turn it into well you can use it as just straight cream or you can turn it into butter or you can turn it into sour cream um, and then you've got the buttermilk that comes off it that you can use for baking as well uh, the other thing you can do is yogurt now goat's milk yogurt is notoriously hard to get it to set um, you do have to add some powdered milk to it and I have heard of people adding gelatin to it as well I've never been able to get it to work but uh, once the cow's going then I'll probably start making uh, yogurt because both my kids like yogurt so they'll both eat it anyway uh, but the other good bit about that is you can chuck in some fruit some honey because we've got our bees so you could add some flavors to it and make flavored which is going to be way healthier than what you get in the shop now before I go on to the next thing which is cheese just take into account that if you are not in a situation to have a goat or a cow don't think that means you can't start exploring the idea of yogurt making cheese making making your own butter and cream and things like that i have seen so many youtubers who are cheese making extraordinaires and i've watched them pour the milk out of a shop-bought milk jug into the container that they're making their cheese in not everybody has access to raw milk and it doesn't have to be raw you could pasteurize it before you make it into cheese or yogurt you don't need to but you could um, but there are so many people making yogurts cheeses creams butter all that kind of stuff and then they don't have a cow themselves they're either buying it from a farmer if you're in the states and you're lucky enough to have access to a direct farmer that's great if you're in australia where raw milk from cows is illegal um, you can go to the shop and just buy milk from there now i would suggest you buy, source the highest quality milk you can so you can't use uht milk which is our long life milk you can't use that for making these kind of products it's been too overly treated but you can certainly access what's considered to be cold pressed raw milk which is not really raw but it's cold pressed it's not as treated as the ultra pasteurized milk and you can make cheese and yogurt and cream and butter and all that kind of stuff out of those things so even if you don't have access to an animal that's producing milk you can absolutely still get involved in making your own dairy products at home 
So the next one I was going to talk about was cheese making. And it made me think about it because the cheesemaker that I follow on YouTube, he does not have access to a cow and he always makes it straight out of um, shop-bought milk. Cheesemaking was scary for me in the first instance and I think a lot of people get put off by it, but it's actually not that bad. And if you, um, if you want to have a go at home with something really easy that you're like, oh God, what do I do? My two that I would suggest or three that I would suggest would be uh, uh, ricotta cheese super simple milk vinegar that's it literally you can use lemon juice if you don't want to use vinegar um super super simple to make and it tastes so much better than the shop-bought ricotta i'm sorry whoever makes the shop-bought ricotta i like my stuff at home it's so so simple to make it's so easy and so yummy the next one is halloumi a little bit more technical to make but the first handy helper loves halloumi cheese and the first time i made squeaky cheese and put it onto a um onto a steak for him he could not believe it he was like oh my god this is the best ever um then the other cheese that i would suggest you have a crack at is mozzarella cheese um it was i i tried it for the first time probably two three months ago could not believe how easy it was to make and i actually managed to get this beautiful stretchy shiny mozzarella cheese into little balls it grated up beautifully onto a pizza for the kids so that was awesome so I was able to make that without any real hassle at home. It was super, super simple. Now, you do need some equipment for cheese making, but honestly, you don't need to go over the top. Just start small. Start with ricotta and things like that where you really don't need anything but cheesecloth, a straining basket, and a container to put it in. And then go from there. If, if you find that you're really enjoying it, there's so many things you can look up on YouTube to how to make cheese, and they will take you through it step by step. And they'll outline what you need. But you really don't need a lot to start with. A big pot and that's about it. Um, then the other thing to keep um, in mind is utilising the byproducts out of making cheese. So when I make cheese, I, it always does my head in. There's so much whey left over at the end of the cheese making process. But oh my God, you can use it for so many things. So I put whey, uh, I do dilute a bit and put it on my blueberry plants my blueberry bushes uh, because they like a, a bit of acidic kind of soil so it kind of helps gives them a boost uh, but I also use the whey for baking my bread so instead of water with my sourdough I put whey that I've kept in the fridge and I use that in place of water when I'm making my bread so that I'm not wasting it um, you can put it into fermentation processes as well I haven't tried that yet that's next on my list uh, and you can use it for beauty products, which, again, I haven't tried that one yet either, but I'll, that's down the track. I will be, as I make more and more cheese, I will have more and more whey, and that's exactly what I'll be doing. Now, I just realized, oh, my God, I've still got a few to go through. So uh, the next one is fermenting and canning. Now, I'm not huge on canning at the moment. I have tried it. I do love it. I will be doing more of it. But you honestly, you do need some equipment, and I think the best thing you can do is um, have a really good source of information regarding canning because if it's not done correctly you can make people sick if you do not can properly and you end up with bacteria in your canned goods so that's a really big disclaimer there if you don't have the correct information you can make people sick please do not do that but it honestly doesn't require too much in the way of tools um, I have uh, a lifter for lifting the cans out of the the pot I have a big pot that I bought from Big W that cost me like 20 bucks 
uh, the jars and lids, you do need to make sure you've got good lids. But the jars, honestly, I bought ball jars and what's the other brand? I can't think of the other brand. Um, they, they make a whole bunch of other stuff. But ball canning jars are probably the gold standard. And I bought probably 20 or 30 of them. And I've still got fruit canned sitting under the cupboard at the moment that we haven't used. But they, the cans last forever if you treat them correctly. They will last forever. You can get a pressure cooker, depending on what type of food you're canning. You can get a pressure cooker in order to um, uh, make sure that you get it at the right temperature. So you can get a pressure cooker to do the canning in to make sure that you get it at the right temperature. Um, I don't have one as yet, but that'll be the next thing on the list because uh, it's very hard for us here. We're on gas, so I don't want to have it running forever and ever. So a pressure cooker, at least I can get it up to the correct temperature and keep it there. Uh, fermented goods is another one for using and of course canning and fermenting is for using excess product so when you've had excess product that you um, can't really utilize uh, at the time the best thing you can do is ferment it or can it so that you can use it later on down the track again cost saving measure means you don't have to buy it from the supermarket later and on the fermenting i'm still learning about fermenting but i've just got to say one thing about fermenting if you have not have preserved lemons on a salad you need to go and do it it is so easy you literally cut up a bunch of lemons stick them in a jar with salt and a little bit of water and wait like you know three four six weeks and then take out the preserved lemons now it's important that the lemons stay under the level of the liquid in there so you sometimes have to put a weight on it to push them down um, you put them, sprinkle them on salads. They are delicious. They add just the right amount of salt and sour to a salad and it just makes it very, very yummy. But things like um, cabbages, um, I think you can ferment just about anything. But the main one that most people think about is sauerkraut. So vegetables can be um, fermented in that respect and that preserves them and keeps them and makes them last longer. Um, and that's the same with canning for jammed goods as well with fruits. All, all you're doing by adding the sugar to it is preserving it so that it lasts a lot longer. So salt or sugar added to it just keeps the bacteria out of it. Um, what else? I was going to talk about homemade cleaning products. Now, I hate throwing out containers, empty containers of shampoo and, and stuff like that. And we I feel like we're always doing it. We always have, you know, empty soap bottles, empty you know, spray bottles, empty shampoo bottles, things like that. So I've started trying to do homemade cleaning products and soaps at home. Now, on homemade cleaning products, the main thing is bicarb soda and vinegar will become your best friend. You could clean just about everything with bicarb soda and vinegar. And I mean everything, people, clothing, surfaces, the whole lot. Uh, but the idea of being able to make these things and put them into a container that you already have at the house and not have to throw it out or buy in. Um, and yeah, there's a few brands. If you can't do it yourself, there are a few brands now that are selling things in the form of a tablet where you drop it into the bottle, add water, and then you have that cleaning product uh, in a bottle that you've already owned and utilized and you're not throwing out, you're recycling it. Um, certainly with vinegar, I got to a point where I was buying the big tubs from uh, Costco and then I was making my own vinegar. I didn't even realize you could do that, but you essentially have half a thing of vinegar, so half vinegar, half water, and leave it for a certain period of time, and the water turns into vinegar and distills. Um, so you don't even have to keep buying vinegar. You can actually start producing your own vinegar, which I think is awesome. Um, 
then uh so that's for commercial cleaning products cosmetics i've only tinkered with a little bit but did you know that you can make homemade toothpaste pretty much from uh baking soda sea salt and coconut oil and water i think as well a little bit of water in it and you can put a few drops of essential oils like peppermint or spearmint oil and you've got toothpaste and you don't have to buy a tube of toothpaste all the time now i had a friend that used to use just baking soda and they literally used to keep a little jar of baking soda for each person in the family and you would dip your toothbrush into the baking soda and use baking soda to clean your teeth never had a problem with his teeth if there's any dentists out there tell me if that's going to cause a problem but otherwise i think that sounds pretty bloody good compared to buying toothpaste all the time uh, and deodorant and i haven't ever been able to perfect this but i'm going to try this year baking soda and coconut oil um, can make deodorant so i'm gonna have a crack at doing that because i hate bringing in deodorant spray bottles or roll-ons and then just having rubbish going out of the house all the time we go through a fair bit of deodorant here because we're all very active people so we're using it fairly constantly uh, but things like cosmetic things like face scrubs avocado oatmeal honey there's so many things you can use other than buying them in soap i do make now i always forget that i'm almost run out and i have to do it again and then i have to let it cure for six weeks so it's something that you really need to kind of mark it on your calendar and say all right i've got to make soap on this date because otherwise we're going to run out but i'm lucky enough to have goat's milk that i freeze and use that to make soap with so we have we make goat's milk soap here we put a little bit of honey in it there's been times where i put a little bit of oatmeal in it to give it a bit of an abrasion so that um so when the handy helper's using it to wash his hands or anything if he's been out working in the dirt um, we can wash our hands and get a little bit of abrasion to get it off but i use a um, cold press version of soap making i have looked at the hot press hot process um, method of soap making it seems very complicated to me the cold press seems very easy but the difference between the cold press and the hot press is cold press you have to cure your soap for six weeks so you have to be doing it in advance uh, whereas with the hot press i think it's only about a week hot process rather it, it's only about a week and the soap is cured uh, so if you're in a real hurry that's how you would do it uh, but if you're doing it in bulk amounts it's easier to do the cold process uh, soap making and you can get all funky little molds and things like that but i do it in my kitchen i just literally use a stab blender um, i always make sure i've got the windows open because if you're using lye which is caustic soda um, the when it processes that it can let off a smell so you always wear safety equipment when you're doing it but it is so easy to do um, oj helps me sometimes and he loves doing it um, it doesn't it really takes about 15 to 20 minutes to to make and to get it up to the correct consistency before you pour it into molds and i just pour it into an old silicon bread mold literally so i make a loaf of soap and cure that and cut it into soap sized pieces and then it sits on the bench and literally when we run out in the shower we just grab another block uh, I, I am this year going to try and do um, some shampoos so solid bar shampoos and conditioners and things like that so we'll see how we go there uh, but they're all the things that I make in my kitchen and um, you don't have to make all of them that's the thing I think people get really really worked up about the idea that oh my god yeah to be a homesteading kitchen I have to do all these things you don't there are times there are months where I have gone and bought soap and shampoo and toothpaste and all that kind of stuff because I just don't have time to do it 
and I don't kick myself over it. I just say, when I've got time, I will go back to doing it. And when I don't have time, I won't. And I won't feel bad about it. But there are all the things that you could do. I would love to hear if you're already doing some of those things in your kitchen. You know, if you're making sourdough or making yogurt or anything like that. Um, if you've perfected goat's milk yogurt, <laughs> send me a DM. I'd really like to know because I can never get mine to set properly. It always ends up just a bit runny. Um, anyway, that's it for this week. Uh, I hope you got something out of that. And next week is uh, launch week for backyard chicken keeping. So stay tuned for that. I can't wait for that to start. And I'll talk to you all then. Bye for now. Thanks so much for listening today. I hope you've enjoyed our time together. If you did, I'd be so grateful if you left me a review. I would also absolutely love it if you tagged me in the next post on your favourite socials at either Not The Farmer's Wife or Mojo Homestead. And don't forget to get your free guide to backyard chicken keeping at www.mojohomestead.net backslash seven must knows. And remember, grow the life you want to live. Say yeah.